Hello and welcome back to RF Talk, the Ray Marufa's podcast series where we talk about games, gadgets, and other geeky stuff. This is Chad, your ex-warrior of light turned tarnish, along with my fellow tarnish, Alan and Luis. Welcome to the show. I, I am now an eternal concert, FYI. Hello. Nice. <laughs> Touch grace, maidenless. Touch grace. Are we still maidenless, boys? <laughs> still maidenless. <laughs> Always no maidens. Oh. <laughs> This right. So how's I mean, your weekend, boys? Anyway, <laughs> it shows that I have no maidens because because I am here doing a podcast and oh. not hanging maidens. <laughs> oh no, Alan but, firing shots. But if you have maiden, you don't count as a maidenless. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any. So you're now maiden fool. <laughs> what? How yeah, does that work? Did, did you eat a maiden and now you're full of it? Like... Maidenless or maiden full guy? Maybe. <laughs> okay, the, the terms that are being invented right this second, I have no idea why they exist. But anyway. Alright, alright. So how about you guys? How was your weekend? Well, uh, well go ahead. Let's go ahead. <laughs> okay. It's pretty much the same. I spent a lot of time in Elden Ring. Uh, I've unlocked the Millennia boss fight. So that's gonna be my goal. <laughs> Probably no, 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 for no. The, you have, you, have, for... you have not unlocked the Malena boss fight. You are now what? trapped in the Malena. Oh boss yeah, fight. we're trapped in the Malena boss fight, and now the goal. <laughs> Probably for this week is to get out of it alive. <laughs> if you can make it alive. If you can make it alive, <laughs> it's crazy how she how she's an optional boss, but once you face her, you kind of have the urge to be like, no, I have to beat her. Like, there's no other boss to fight. Like, uh, she's the ultimate boss of the game. So if you're in front of it, are you not gonna fight it? Why else yeah. have you picked up Elden Ring? Why are you doing <laughs> Soulsborne games, right? Yeah. To fight yeah. bosses. I mean, what are we fighting for? <laughs> we need to uh, find the Elden Ring. Anyway, the, the X4. The X4. Is it really and for then... the Elden Ring or something else? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, anyway, um, since we're talking about Elden Ring, this also means that we're also discussing about its game design, and we know that Elden Ring is all about being open world, but with a twist of mm-hmm. being Dark Souls. But still, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And for this episode, we'll be talking about. Some of the different approaches in open world games. And since we played Elden Ring for several hours now, and of course Alan has dozens of hours now since he made the review, we would like to talk about some of the designs that makes each of these specific open world games really that, you know, uh, distinct. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, right. Alan? Uh, are we going to start with the Elden Ring itself? I hope we could share some previous games we uh, we experienced with open world, and then maybe we could. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could okay, go but... forward with some examples like Elden Ring, of course. All right, so I guess I'm gonna start with my my, my worst open world experience. <laughs> All right, it's not <laughs> awful. Like it's not. It's not like it's not like awful in the sense that I don't want to play it, but uh, it was awful in the sense that, uh, especially since I was reviewing it, that I felt like I was trapped. Like I, I have, like I, I can't do anything that I uh, that seems fun, and everything just feels repetitive. Uh, repetitive cycle of do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. this, that, right? Mm-hmm. And that game is nothing other than Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, I, oh okay. Uh, that uh, was a. Uh, it's the, the there's the thing like when you have a a big map and the, uh, much of the map doesn't really have anything interesting in it. Other than just having like uh, certain points in it of interest that 
oh, you can climb this tower here. So you can discover everything else in this territory, which is uh, going to be similar to all the other activities you do in every other territory. That's like... Uh, <laughs> it gets it's, it's, old. Yeah, it's the Ubisoft template. <laughs> yeah, it's the Ubisoft template, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, like too there. much information being fed on you. Like that's one of those problems with other open world games. Like it doesn't give you that any sense of exploration or discovery. Yeah, yeah. like like it kind of holds your hand and tells you where to go. Like, hey, you should probably explore this area. Hey, there's something in this area. Like instead of, uh, you know, letting your natural curiosity do the work. Like you go there because you find something interesting. There's just there's always a pointer to something somewhere that uh, kind of leads you on. Yeah, so. it can it kind of I mean, makes sense, right? Like hmm. it's it's so, fine that it gives you some hints or maybe details on what you should proceed on what on what next quest you should proceed. But there are some cases that you need to give it moderately. Uh, give it mm-hmm. a like not much of information, but nothing much that could blew out like your experience in exploring mm-hmm. okay so, yeah. i would say that there is certainly room for curated content mm-hmm. like uh you know linear style progression in the game where there's this whatever you do you're gonna go through like fight a and then explosion b on mm-hmm. to boss fight c you know mm-hmm. uh and it, it it finishes in a certain way it plays out in a certain way there is room for that but if your concept is open world and you uh, you kind of negate that by building so much structure around the player experience to the point that you know you're, you might as well uh, uh, make it a, a choose your own adventure like click this to go through a tunnel click that to to raid the the enemy base like uh, yeah you're, you're kind of ruining the experience because now I know that you're basically running me you on know, a treadmill, and uh, and you're just pressing buttons just to slightly change it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that was my problem with with Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Like the time, the one time that I that I suddenly really really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Valhalla was uh, I guess this was sort of hidden content because you had to do some obscure stuff before you can access it, but it was the it was actually getting to Valhalla. Right? Mm. You 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 play mm. as one of the gods and you play out their their uh you play out their their lore, their legends, and even though there was like map markers here and there, there wasn't too much. And uh since and I'm playing the story. I'm playing uh, a story in a pace I want to, and the characters are all interesting. You know, it's not like my character um being this uh, tabula rasa thing where there's generic responses to everything and whenever I walk past a point of interest it says hmm I should check that out huh that looks interesting stop telling me what to do stop telling me what to do I am the character player <laughs> so yeah that was the that was the thing with with Valhalla but I really enjoyed that one section that one kept me going for a while but uh, when I'm when it came to exploring which wasn't much of an exploration uh it 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 felt more like uh checking boxes off a list you know it's like it's like a set of chores Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah so i guess that's your experience i guess bad experience in open world games (laughs) how about you Luis? 
Uh, okay, and recent open world games. Well, I did play Dying Light too. Um, which kind of kind of counts as an open world, and also we did a review of very uh, much, about it. very much so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I I would say that in terms of like the current open world standards, uh, it does follow, you know, of what Alan has been saying with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, where there's a lot of uh, repetitive content here and there. You know, stuff to ex- uh, like it's more like places to explore, enemies to fight, camps to raid, and stuff like that. Uh, but but I think the may- maybe compared to like Assassin's Creed games with with Dying Light Two, uh, the discovery kind of feels a bit more natural because like uh, it the the icons, the the quest markers or the markers and stuff like that for all the side content uh, just pops off once you kind of like get inside that area of, of where they are it's not it's not like gonna tell you or drop like info bombs saying that hey you should probably like you know go into this area like it, it, it still feels a little natural uh to 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 say the least and uh you know one best thing i, I guess with dying light 2 is of course the parkour mechanic which is make it really fun for uh, for the uh exploration like how you explore the world because you you could completely explore everything and, and avoid every enemy along the way, or you could just you know go ham, get down the street and just take take out any zombie that you can find. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does have its limitations though, because um, some of the people that have been saying and the uh, I I have encountered this in in game is that there are areas where you can't access that easily because you don't have the tools for it just yet. So you have to like progress through the story. Uh, in order to like access those, and uh, to me that kind of felt uh, limiting in in the open world setup because you know in an open world you should be able to have like um, access to maybe every area in the game, unless of course that area is something that's critical to the story. You should be able to like explore them and stuff like that. And putting that roadblock and just making sure that hey you you've played maybe at least fifteen twenty hours in before you get access to them kind of like hurts the experience overall but isn't that sort of like castlevania like symphony of the night like uh, they they purposely like lock away sections with story progression and uh, <laughs> they do it a little smarter this time by uh making the story progression uh have you obtain tools and like i guess a paraglider or something or a grappling yeah the, the the grappling but you know i mean I don't think there's a fair comparison because Symphony of the Night was a is a Metroidvania style yeah, of It's game. a different approach because yeah, it's, it's, it's a different not approach. really much of an open world game but more of a I guess labyrinth game where you have to explore and discover and then if there yes, are any yes. clip like roadblocks encountered in each of the levels that you may need to go back to other previous areas to unlock new features like for example new upgrades mm-hmm. that makes you venture further but it could make it a more different approach. Like, the way you would clear the game will be a lot different from the other players that you would uh, meet or discuss with. Mm-hmm. So, no, it that, has that, that sense of, you know, different uh, discovery for doing your own playthrough. It doesn't, mm-hmm. like, be, have a, this linear approach, even if it's, like, for example, an open-world game that you have only have one linear direction in completing this campaign rather than giving you options and how you would approach the campaign. Oh, okay. Because uh, mm-hmm. they're in Dialight 2, they're all traversal tools, right? 
Yes, uh, the paraglider and like the grappling hook and stuff like that. Does, it, does that change how you would like do boss fights or something? No, no, it it, it doesn't actually. It's more of the exploration in the open world because you know like these tools unlock new heights for you to like reach. Also, uh, one great thing I guess about Dying Light Two compared to other open world games, they don't have escort quests. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> there are still like fetch quests, but you know you don't have to escort people around, or I don't know, maybe I haven't like encountered them. But so far with my playthrough, I did not have to go through, a, through, a, through an escort quest or anything. So, right. yes. Thank you, Dying Light 2 developers. Um, how about you, Chad? Okay. Uh, the most recent open world I would actually experience that. Does it give me a good, uh, really a satisfying taste, perhaps? But mm-hmm. maybe in like an average experience, and that is uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising. It's more of a... New take from Ubisoft in their open world games, but oh, another yeah, it's another Ubisoft. Yeah, another it's another open world Ubisoft title, <laughs> but it gives that light version of a Breath of the Wild vibe, where mm-hmm. yeah, you could explore uh, different areas in the game, like there has a sense of discovery. But the problem is with how the template for each Ubisoft game. Though we're not saying it's really a bad thing, but something that can be good but needs some refinements in the future. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's hard to do the same template in each of the open world games because it, it the, some games like some open world games had its own different approach, so they need to like review how they would approach the game and not depend on a, on a single template. Like here uh, with Immortals, it has that vibe between Breath of the Wild and probably Genshin Impact. Where you could still you could still find some labyrinths that you need to explore and unlock something to acquire materials or upgrades, and then you, this there's this like a really vast world for you to explore. But in some cases, some areas could be locked through story progression, so it that part would eliminate your sense of discovery. And also some problems like side quests are really that blatant or maybe some secrets that are really obvious that give that the player will you know uh the system would give you some hints that there's a secret that you need to uh, uncover here that would ruin the sense of discovery and i think that's the same with alan's experience with valhalla i mean it's fine at first that it guides you on how you would find secrets or some other unlockable uh, quest but if it keeps but it also makes you more dependent on the notifications rather than you being more creative on how you would discover secrets. Mm-hmm. Like if you play with if you played with Breath of the Wild, you can see that each player has its own unique approach in how they would finish the game or how they would explore the game. Like some would go to this particular zone first, or some would go for this other zone first, and the result would still be different, but the conclusion, like finishing the game, um, they will still do. Uh, they will still manage to finish the game, but in a different style. And mm-hmm. it also encourages you to be more, you know, creative. Like try to discover other stuff. Although Immortals tries to reinvent the template of uh, Ubisoft open world game, but still you could see some of the problems 
that some of us are always complaining about with any Ubisoft titles. And hopefully, in the future, they might try to reinvent and finally get the right groove for particular open world games. So those are like the problems. Like, it's hard for you to explore some games because there's too much information being thrown at you that you know there's already a hint. Oh, and you know, I I, uh-huh. I think uh, if, if if I want to summarize it in a sense, uh, it's like they're ob- it's like obvious padding for the game. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh, you can't visit this specific point in this location. Like this cave can only be unlocked by a blue key, right? Yeah, sort of yeah. those kind of. And it's just it's just one door, and what happens is they're just repurposing that location, so it's so they don't have to like make a new location for you later on. Mm-hmm. And it's a very boring way of making use reusing content that uh, you never really needed to do, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. although to be like f- when they're yeah. repurposing when they're when they're repurposing backtracking. In a sense that uh, it's it feels like you're they're wasting your time, yeah. I understand why that's frustrating because uh, when I mentioned like Castlevania, it it wasn't more of a it wasn't restricting. It was more of oh, this is as far as I can go now. But now that I got this like uh, double jump feature, oh, not only can I get through this section a lot faster or easier, there's that one part in that place that I can get to, which I have no idea where it leads to yet. And it's actually a door to a brand new dungeon. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Although to be fair with Immortals that they try to incorporate some secrets or some other secret areas in the game with puzzles. That makes mm-hmm. it really fun to interact with or maybe to solve it. But there are some cases that the physics issue within the game makes it really frustrating. Or it kills the fun factor in discovering some of the secrets. So... I think that's another problem with when you implement some games. Like, I know they try to get influence, a lo- inf- uh, inspirations from Breath of the Wild, especially in how they do puzzles. But for the case mm-hmm. with uh, Breath of the Wild, whenever they do these puzzles, there's always like a secret cheat that you could do, like a big cheat that, or just something that could cheese it out. Like, for example, when you try to maneuver a ball in this board. And using your what do you call this uh, Joy-Con to na- to with its motion controls, mm-hmm. but there's one trick that you can just you know flip it over to reveal the flat side of the board just to make it easier to navigate. <laughs> like <laughs> you have to think out of the box in order to make those cheese, and it kind of works with Breath of the Wild because it's, those are like hidden tricks that you could just discover. And some parts in. Immortals really locks those aspects where the problem would be definitely from the design itself that makes it difficult to actually finish it instead of, you know, finding another alternative to bypass those problems. Okay. So, Mm. are you saying that uh, the the developers of Immortals Phoenix Rising, they, they, they kind of like, oh, they might try to do this cheeky thing where they, they flip the board or whatever and they, they actually, uh, produced a way to not to block that method. Yeah, I think there are some ways that you could cheese it, but it's all locked with some certain uh, upgrades, which kind of also eliminates the fun part. Like you want to be, you know, you want to be, you want to play it smart. 
but it's more on yeah, you have I, to 100%. accomplish yeah have to accomplish everything in order to cheese it so it also eliminates that sense of discovery and you know the anticipation of you know trying to experiment on something else i mean again that puts you on the it that puts you on the on the part where you're in an open world but at the same time they're putting your experience on rails yeah like it doesn't feel like an open world because there's like limitations although they're yeah. still debatable on how we would factor out the limitations because maybe it's from the design aspect or maybe hardware limitations or whatever but there are some designs that could be fixed with a more different approach in maybe designing the, uh, the puzzles or other aspects in the open world games mm-hmm. so yeah so I guess those are like our bad takes in open world games but of course we still have <laughs> some of the fun experience in some games that really defines our taste or maybe our impressions of what makes open world games good or fun. And I think we categorize this into four factors like or like four different approaches that it makes it unique for their distinct design and focus, but still mm-hmm. it matches as an open world game. So like there are some who are story focused and then some are more on exploration Others are more heavy on content, like quests. And then there are others, like, all around, like, being sandbox games. Mm-hmm. I guess we could go first with story focus. And I think Alan mm-hmm. played a recent game that's heavily focused on the story. So, Alan. A oh, heavily yeah. focused yeah. story game? Wait, what are we talking about? Oh, <laughs> Which no, one? Alan, I, I, really... you're not reading! Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, uh, one of the games would be Dishonor like, on you, Alan. Dishonor, Alan. You're not Dishonor reading notes. On... Wait! You're not <laughs> reading <laughs> notes. Ghost yeah, of Tsushima go. would be the one that would I would say is story-focused. But mm-hmm. not really. You're, you are free to progress however you want in that game. No, I mean, uh, yeah. But remember, there are some quests and some areas that are locked until you finish certain parts of the campaign. Okay, yeah, but so there are areas there that you know, like oh, before you can take on this big castle, you need to join, you need to gain this many allies and arrange this strategy, and I, that's part of it. And uh, okay, I can't go to the final area immediately, right? I can't, I can't speedrun in this game, like get teleported like to the final boss and finish it in twenty minutes. I can't do that. If I try to approach this this castle that I'm, I need like there are certain requirements to meet. I get hit by arrows unreasonably, um, an unreasonable amount of arrows, <laughs> and, and I'm forced to fall back, right? Yeah. I remember that clearly because I challenged that so much. I said, I can parry the arrows. I can parry the arrows. I just didn't know where they were coming from, and then it just became an unreasonable amount. So there is mm-hmm. that. Ghost of Tsushima, in a way, like I would rather say it's more of an open world than story-driven, but there, it does. It does. Uh, I mean, it's still open world. It just that. Its approach is more on driven by story progression. Yeah. Okay, because if you're gonna if you're gonna say that, if you take on the like tiny like the five minute ten minute quests, it still has a story. It's actually pretty engaging. I love it. Uh, thing is, the thing that 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 makes uh, the Ghost of Tsushima approach so interesting is one. Uh, if I want to find out where I want to go, I like do this 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 the swipe on the touchpad and I get the win right and. They go this way, woo! But I, uh, it kind of has a Red Dead Redemption two factor to it, where you can get random encounters of 
maybe rescuing like hostages or prisoners yeah or getting ambushed <laughs> by uh things generally you you fight something or or a flying bird like hovers over your head or you find a fox and then it's so easy to get distracted and nothing is pressuring you nothing is telling you you can't do these things that's mm-hmm. so golden to me yeah i think like, those are oh. the good factors with ghost of Tsushima that the content itself is more on chance whenever you go around in areas like there are random instances like you would encounter bandits or you would encounter like certain farmers who need help and then you would open up like a side quest to clear out a camp filled with bandits or you would discover foxes like asking you to yeah. follow them and then go to this you know a shrine so in my defense I didn't think of it as a story-focused game. Oh, no, game. Alan, you're not reading <laughs> Alan, you're not reading notes again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, but it does have... It does... You do play the... It's not like uh, something where you just uh, do whatever you want and the story changes. You play Jin Sakai. Uh, you are... Uh, you're sort of a disgraced samurai. Sort of. But in the sense that you lost a battle and you're fighting to survive, trying to get back to your uncle. And the story goes from there. I'm not gonna spoil much more than that, but it's ah, uh, it's so good. This, 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 everything is so good in that game. Like, do you remember the first time you get your katana back in that game, where when you finally draw the sword and you and you brandish it over uh, Jin, like brandishes it over his over his head, and the moon like reflects into his eyes. Oh shit! That gave me chills. That gave me chills. This is so good. Such a great yeah, game. Yeah, I think I think Alan forgot about the notes. Like, <laughs> what we meant about Probably the story did. approach is that the yeah, it's still open world, but the different approach here is that there are some parts that that stops you from finishing the game in a different approach. Like, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you call this? Like in Breath of the Wild, like I mentioned a while ago, like you could finish the game in a different way, but in mm-hmm. Ghost of Tsushima. Regardless of the other side quests that you would encounter, the progression on finishing the game would be still linear. Like yeah, okay. you have it's, to it's finish. Much, right. it's pretty much Alan, the please read the notes before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I read it. I just didn't understand what you meant by it. I mean, we <laughs> no, discussed. I, I, I would, yeah, I, I would kind of agree. I mean, uh, looking at you know another game, uh, of course, that also recently came out and has like a prequel, uh, Horizon Forbidden West and uh, Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn. I mean, it's not just that there are some... Because, like, in both games, there are some areas that are locked. Bef- and you can access them by completing certain quests, right? But, like, on, on like the whole story itself, on the road to the ending, that kind of di- dictates your pace. And, um, sure, there are variations to the ending. But it's not like... Um, uh, a lot of side quests kind of affect it. Uh, the 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 side quests, of course, do play a bit of part in the story, but like once you reach to like when you're near the ending, it plays out pretty much virtually the same, regardless of how you started your playthrough, regardless of what build you've been doing. So, I guess there's that when when we talk about a story focused approach in an open world, of course you can explore the world freely as much as you like, but you know exploring it doesn't change. Kind of doesn't change a lot of stuff, uh, as far as like the the main story goes. Like, all right, I guess um, I guess so, we can so put it this like way. 
like uh no matter what you do in the quest it's not like uh, it's not like you're gonna get a choice of um save hostage or do not save hostage that doesn't really change Jin Sakai's alignment or his personality or anything uh like m- everything that you do contributes to uh his character building his character building his experiences and you can't really determine where that goes right it's still gonna end up the same way so in a sense mm-hmm. you're still playing the story how long you're playing it depends on you yeah but you're still gonna yes. get the same uh you're still gonna play through the same scenes then you're still gonna more or less go through the same conclusion yeah, there yeah. i will concede that probably yeah. uh the approach here is if you take a lot of the side quests on other stuff you would appreciate more on the lore or maybe you would acquire more gear or makes mm-hmm. your character more stronger that if for example you're having you're having this difficulty in one of the campaign stories but once you complete some of the side quests or you know just roaming around in the particular area mm-hmm. it made you stronger and or maybe made you more experienced in the the playstyle that makes your second attempt more easier to finish yeah i mean uh here's the fine example like uh i went like full on ninja i will i will kill you in your sleep uh jin sakai and i i love playing that way because it, mm-hmm. it matched how he progressed the story my brother refused to do anything that <laughs> we, he would consider as dishonorable combat he would literally walk up to the front of the base and challenge, and challenge, <laughs> challenge enemies. But that doesn't affect how the story progresses. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. The conclusion will be still the same. same, and uh, your encounter is still the same. Like, for example, maybe in some games, right? Right? Like when you do a different approach, like being dishonorable, pe- some of the encounters you would meet probably have a different uh, impressions on you. Like, for example, they said. They would probably say, "Ah, oh, you're a you're an assassin. You're a bad guy. Stay away." Like those kind of approach. Assassin, But in morality bar or something. Yeah, like, like in like in Fallout Three, like the, like the good Fallout. <laughs> oh yeah, Fallout Three. I guess even with some aspects of Four, except Seventy Six, please no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that game. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Is that the game? Oh no! <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I think those are good examples. Uh, that's also what makes Ghost of Tsushima really charming is even though it's more of a linear progression for the story, the way mm. you would experience in some parts like the random encounters of bandits, the random encounters of duel, facing duels or standoffs, or mm-hmm. even like whenever you try to discover a random farmer who needs your help and then you would unlock open up a new area for you to clear out. Those kind of uh, side quests makes it really fun to do your own pacing. Like, it gives you more time to really go uh, to digest the world. It's lore. And even in some cases, if you want to go completionist, finish the side stories of your side characters. Where... It could be a episodic approach that you need to finish some quest, uh, main story quest before you progress with the side side quests. Mm-hmm. But once you finish those side quests, you would get this new appreciation for your side char- characters, or maybe some cases would join you in your future uh, journeys. Like in some of the later quests, like you need to rally up an army or something. Remember those uh, parts. 
and then they would give a different uh perspective or maybe uh once you learn more about the character's story that you would appreciate their reasons for joining or fighting i mean i remember a game that does specifically that but it's not open world which is dragon age origins uh oh, yeah you do you, you can choose to do as many side quests as you want and that's gonna that's gonna help you amass the army that you will have for the final battle yeah i think mm-hmm. for any uh bioware games like mass effect dragon age they had this aspect where you could do side quests to build up your reputation and in the final conflict or maybe the final campaign it would also give some different uh maybe different cutscene different ending or you know it would unlock a new quest or something that would give more lore or give more information to this lore that gives you like a satisfying conclusion to it mm. So yeah, so I guess uh, it's also the same with Horizon, right? Like there are some aspects that makes it fun in exploring areas in the game, but it would lock you from progressing further. Or you know, if you, for example, accidental discovery, like you are venturing deeper yes. in this area, yeah. and then suddenly, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, and the you know, it, I mean, the same mechanic we're in. Uh, completing side quests does allow you to have allies in like the final chapters kind of still exist in like horizon especially in like horizon uh, zero dawn but yeah. you know it doesn't really change the outcome it just like kind of makes these people that you've encountered involved in it because ultimately as as far as this, the story goes you share you kind of share the same goal which is like to like find out what's happening and, and save the world and stuff like that so mm-hmm. you know it, it's that so uh, i guess just to just really sum it up when we talked about a story focused approach in open world games it's like you're playing the game so you could follow the story yeah like you you would know um what's gonna happen next and how it's gonna happen yeah. like that's that's that, that's how you did of course you can still explore do side quests have random encounters but yeah for the most part uh once you get back into your main quest you're just following a storyline you're just watching it unfold right before you. Yep. Stuff like that. And yeah, in most yeah, cases... That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. in most cases also, uh, your avatar is a gen- already a story-generated character. Like, you're not playing in your own character. You're playing someone else's character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so like, I remember origin. somebody saying that uh, the reason that... The, so, uh, the examples we brought up, these are all games brought up in the West. Mm-hmm. Right. They were they're, they're made by Western developers, and the f- they're very character focused. They are very much character focused, uh, and they are interested in telling stories of the of that person and the pre- the people around that person. And what they brought up in as a differentiation was, it's because that not everybody is going to be interested in the personality or the characters that the writers create. So they try to make all these points of, uh, of what what you call it, uh, interaction character, or character yeah, development. Like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> things, things like basically things to get to keep you interested. Like they throw anything mm-hmm. to keep you interested. Like oh look, there's a there's a there's a there's a platforming puzzle here. You want to do a platforming puzzle? We can just do the story whenever you want. But if you're kind of bored with the characters, you can do this platforming puzzle. There's a there's a prize at the end. Or there's a there's a mini there's an optional boss here too if you want to try that you don't have to be invested in the story if you don't like it 
but for those that are interested in the story, like yeah, you just just keep following this yellow brick road and you're gonna get to the next story point. You know, uh, it's like like in Red Dead Redemption, I got lost in so many places because I just got carried away with a, with a side quest. I wasn't that interested in the, in their in their story quest. Because uh, I wasn't that interested in being an outlaw. I wanted to be like some sort of sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I, I guess that's why they tend to populate their... Like most games, I guess Tsushima is kind of the exception. Because Tsushima actually hides it from you for the most part. Until you unlock like abilities that help you find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so I guess that's why they would put all these points of interest for you. So that in case you're... You're not that engaged with the main the main campaign, like well you can do all these other things and they're all fun. You could you could fish. You can like uh, bring bring your uh, go, get into a cockfight. You can oh yeah you can go, <laughs> go in a race. You know the all these haiku. other things. I think the best way is how they would implement the markers in a, a much natural uh, approach. Like for example, like you mentioned, like with Ghost of Tsushima, right? You would encounter mm-hmm. foxes or maybe birds that are chirping with a different tone that signifies that there could be a secret nearby without actually, yeah. you know, popping out on your screen with large text. Oh, there's a secret nearby or something. Yeah. Oh. It's annoying markers. Yeah. It's something more like a natural approach. Like whenever you go like hiking, like you would know mm-hmm. that this road is, you know, the most commonly... Uh, traverse area because of the footprints or maybe the the road is now formed because of many people are walking to it so, so it's kind you, of like you're saying you can tell which one is the road and which one is the road less traveled yeah yeah something like that like you know it's a natural guidelines like you know that this is a, you're in the right way or you know there's something heading this when you go to this way either like it's danger or maybe a surprise or maybe there's like a cramp nearby those are sort of natural signs that they would design in the game for an open world. And I think Ghost of Tsushima is one of those examples that gives that natural feel without alienating the way they would notify you for any secrets nearby. Alright. Yeah, it, it, it's there if you look for it. Is I think is the best way to put it. Like, yeah. If you're willing to look, you're going to find it. But if you're focused on something else, you're not going to... Uh, it's all good. Yeah. It's like, it's not a like a large marker popping up in your screen. Like, remember in Tsushima, you would know you're in the direction of the quest you would have to go by the gust of the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a so really yeah, that, neat that's... design. Like, yeah. it doesn't destroy the immersion of your experience in the game by putting up a lot of markers or counters on screen. Yeah, you're not, you're not in overloaded with information. Yeah. Your, your information is just natively there. It's not... Okay, it's not. It's like uh, it's like some open world games just want you to know that all these things exist so badly. It's as if you're going into a into an amateur website design and you get like pop ups every five seconds. Yeah, it's not like right? your website, right? Uh, you get pop up notifications or ads. Yeah. Click here to find. And you out can appreciate the game like itself while you traverse mm-hmm. the area, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like the. I guess yeah. I guess that's the best way to put it. Like ads, like getting ads about everything is just so annoying. And I feel like disengaging. I'm overstimulated, or, or, um, overloaded with information, 
And it just makes me like, okay, so which one is actually the interesting part here? Do I have to weave through all this, all this stuff just to find out? No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Although there's some case I might be okay with some aspects, like for example, in terms of <clears throat> accessibility, where for example, if the player is is deaf, that it would give you visual cues on screen, but at least gives you the ability to toggle it on and off. At least that's the yeah. good, good option that would you give. <clears throat> I would appreciate this kind of information uh, overload if it's for in, for the sake of accessibility, but at least give us the option, you know, to switch it off if we don't like it and give it a more natural markers that we would discover in the game. Yeah, I think Horizon Forbidden West did that. Like, they yeah. gave you an option like, hey, we can give you the guided tour or you can do the this explorer mode if you want. Yeah, that's or a good example. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so there, like yeah. that, like because uh, that shows confidence in them knowing how to design an open world. Like we don't have to tell you anything; uh, you you'll be able to figure it out, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a market confidence right there. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, I guess that's all for the first part, which is story focus approach, and I think we've tackled much on this aspect. And some open world games aren't actually driven fo- heavily driven on story progression. <clears throat> there are some that are more on exploration and more on discovery. And some of the fine examples would be Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and of course, the recent Elden Ring. Oh, yes, yeah, baby. Elden Ring. We have uh, prepare for a 30-minute extension. No, joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, is, it, uh, is this whining about the patch? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, we're no. not. But yeah, uh, okay, exploration approach in video games. Um, I would say that Elden Ring is, would be the very, very best example of it. You know, so like previously, or like when we talked about the Ghost of Tsushima and Resident Forbidden West, we were talking about story focus approach, right? Wherein you play the game so you could follow the story. With Elden Ring, you play the game so you would discover the story. Yeah. Like, not everything is explained from the get-go. You actually have to, like, um, you know, talk to people, like, discover NPCs, discover areas, just to get a hint of what exactly is going on, like, with the world. And, uh, of course, uh, as, as common with, with other Soulsborne games, you know, Elden Ring, in, in Elden Ring, completing side quests given by NPCs can actually affect what your ending is or how your ending kind of plays out sure it's the same boss fight but like the the idea of having that multiple endings you know and uh it, it kind of makes a story kind of like an like open-ended in a way mm-hmm. and and, and it, it's kind of left to your own in, in interpretation but but yeah like you you complete NPC side quests and uh you kind of unlock new endings uh, for your game, so the experience can be largely different, and uh, especially with with Elden Ring, like it doesn't point you exactly to where you'd wanna go first, because you can actually um, just just I mean, this it is it's the same starting point, but it's up to you on what direction you're going to take, which 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 area you'd wanna explore first, which bosses you'd wanna take on first, and stuff like that. So, so I guess that's, that's that's the beauty of an exploration style approach. I mean, of course, there are bosses that you can unlock after like uh, completing a or like areas that you can unlock after like completing 
you know, a certain set of quests. But at least in the like initial area, which is actually also already very sizable, you can like explore wherever you want, whichever way you want, whenever you want. You're having a hard time with uh, who was that first boss, Marjit? You know what? Just just go level up somewhere. And oh, suddenly you're in Kaled. Oh, suddenly you're in uh, Liorna. Oh, suddenly you're in Lindell. <laughs> and, and and you you can do that even if not. Even even if uh, you don't even have to kill anyone just to do that, you can just go straight ahead and uh, try to reach these points. Let your natural discovery or natural curiosity take take you there. I mean, um, last time we did hang out, I watched Alan play, and we were all like, "Wait, there's something in there. Wait, there's something in there. Wait, what's that? Wait, Wait I want to yeah. go to that. There, there, it's yeah, that natural. <laughs> yeah, what the dog do? Yeah, is what that, is that do? natural? Why is he attacking is me? <laughs> why is he attacking me? Yeah, why is he it's attacking me? An oversized me? dog too. What is what dog. is wrong with these? Guys? Yeah, also but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's mm-hmm. that natural sense of like curiosity that really drives you to progress and discover, and you know, with, without without really affecting much of the um. Oh well, well, it affecting much of the of the of the main storyline. But at the same time, like it's up to you to like discover how everything plays out in the like bigger grander scheme of things of of the lore and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's so, the yeah. the fun part with this kind of exploration type of open world games is like if you encounter a roadblock that is like for example a difficult boss and if you're not really that skilled enough to finish off that boss you might try to you know do a different approach like try to level up grind more for better gear or maybe Mm -hmm. you know at that moment you could just explore the area maybe there's something else that you could discover it Mm -hmm. doesn't lock you completely on the, your progression, because you could still do your own approach in taking the game. Like, I remember whoever said that, like, in my playthrough, someone said that, hey, I didn't saw this in my first play, in my playthrough. Like, I discovered some some sort of catacomb that is, uh, I guess, they didn't discover early in the game, and I managed to discover it early in my playthrough. But I managed, also managed to clear out the catacomb, I guess, maybe... I learned some much on the basics, or maybe I managed to level up my characters a bit better now. Yeah. So at least, you know, the experience will be different from each player, and they don't need to rely on someone else's playthrough just to have, just to maximize their experience, because <laughs> regardless on whatever approach you would do, you would still enjoy the game in your own pacing. So I guess that's the beauty of Elden Ring and any exploration type of open world games that regardless if it's a difficult game, you would still have different ways to overcome it. Like, yeah, it's hard at start, but sooner you would experience how to play better or maybe how you would appreciate the game now because it's not about the difficulty, but it's more on how you would discover the game. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I, for me, okay. I, I, this analogy just suddenly popped in my head, right? Uh, games like Valhalla, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, are very much like your mom, right? Your mom, but at least reminds you of my mom. Like Marge. Like before you get, <sighs> before, before you get to go out, before you get to go out, like, oh, uh, did you did you remember your lunch? Did you remember your allowance? Did you do your homework? Did you do all this? Blah 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 blah. Right, that's very mom-like. Like they check on everything, and like 
30 minutes after you leave, they check if you're on the right route yeah. towards where you're going. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So it's it's very much on the reels. It gets annoying sometimes. But, you know, that's what moms are like. They carry very free very much. Now, Elden Ring is like my dad when he left us in a, in a mountain to, to plant banana trees. I'm not talking like saplings. I'm talking like actual ass trees, like fully grown trees, right? He gave us a bunch of like metal rods that you could dig the earth with, which we could we didn't know at that time. And then he and then he left us with a bunch of trees to plant uh, on the hill uh, on the mountain. And he said, "All right, I'll be back in like uh, six hours. See you guys." And that that's it. Like, okay, um, have at you. What what do I do? What like no, I don't know. <laughs> it's so like digging the earth. It's like Ubisoft open world games are the March Simpson of open world games, and then. <laughs> You know, Elden Ring are the Homer Simpson of open world games. Uh, but yeah. it's not it's not dopey. It's not I dopey mean, yeah, or clumsy. But the way the approach, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, you just leave you there. No. Says you'll be back in six hours, exactly back in eight. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm hungry. And then the and then there's the uh and then by the end of it laughs in my face because I was planting the dead trees. What do you th- how was I supposed to know this? How was I supposed to know any of this? But that became a story of like, oh, Alan can actually carry trees. Like, it wasn't easy. But yes, it happened. But yeah, that's uh, that's what Elden Ring kind of reminds me of. Like, uh, hey, what do you want to look like? Uh, okay, what do you want? You, you, here's some tools. Here's some. Here's a. Here's some. Here's a weapon. Uh, yeah, have fun. Have fun. Like, amend the Elden Ring. I don't know how you're gonna do it. Just. Just get well. I'll get back to you later. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the very least, it gives you the basics, right? Like, hey, you're in this world. Here's what you need to do. How you want to do it? That's all up to you. <laughs> and then, and then you die. Yeah. Then and th- die. and then and then and then like typical of of a, a father to like taunt you the moment you get out in the open world. Ha, maidenless. Ha. <laughs> and and the first thing you encounter is tree sentinel. And it, it, it's almost as if the game is sneering at you because you died to it so quickly. <laughs> look at this kid. <laughs> look, a mini boss at the early portion of the game. Why am I dead? <laughs> so yeah. Hey, that, okay. At, at least like the tree sentinel can't be skipped. It's not like in like the uh, the other Dark Souls games where like that's the uh, point. That's yeah, the point. Like you're you're supposed to figure out that you that you should skip some things. Before com- and yeah. just come back to them later. But but you know, Alan, my, my Soulsborn player pride does not let me want to do that. <laughs> neither, <laughs> the gamer pride, the no. gamer pride in all of us mm-hmm. just says, "No, I need to kill this guy." No, that's not souls souls enough. You need to <laughs> use a ring fit to finish off the tree sentinel. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> like like <laughs> that was that was an insane thing. Elden ring fit. Like, you have to walk. You have to do the jog so that your character will actually move. Yeah. Like, some fights are like, what? Like, they can be easily 10 minutes long. Alan, this, is, minutes. this is the Dark Souls of Ring Fits. <laughs> <laughs> quite literally. Quite literally. The Dark Souls of Ring Fit. Like, maybe I should try that. But no. I, I, no, I won't do it. I know how long, how long some fights are. <laughs> Imagine doing anyway. it with Balenia, though. <laughs> all right, all right. If you do it, if you do it, I, 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 I like shade. If you, if you do it with like with, with Malena and with with a ring fit configuration, oh I'll, I'll 
I mean, doesn't he doesn't need to beat Mar- <laughs> Melina? <laughs> he just needs to fight Melina with the ring fit, so he wins. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> of course he has to win. Of course he has. Are, to win. are we Don't putting it up a dare, right? <laughs> but yeah, well, uh, that's that's the that's the thing. Like, like with the, with the Elden Ring open world, th- this is the this is the funny part when you think about it. Like, uh, Elden Ring has the least amount of stuff you can actually do. What else can you do in Elden Ring aside from kill things and ride a horse? Right? You can jump to platforms and, and such. Mm-hmm. Jumping but puzzles. But somehow... Yeah, but the puzzles are... Like, the puzzles are there if you actually pay attention to it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but for the most part, you're just walking around and looking for things to fight. And that is, like, such an engaging open world for some reason. You, there's no fishing... And I, I would automatically call it a terrible RPG at that point, but it's not. It's amazing. So yeah, as long as it doesn't so punish you too much, like for example, it's like for example, permadeath. At least for Elden Ring and even like even other Souls game, no matter how many times mm-hmm. you die, at least it gives you like a leeway to continue with the map to fight again. Like you know, uh, gives you a reason to go back and try again. Like even though they're like. It's yeah, it's hard, but still, it still encourages you to continue on until you can finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and ev- all the exploration, like uh, no, no, not all. Most of the exploration and the risks you take are rewarded aptly. Like uh, you, you at least gain levels enough, so uh, enough runes to get to gain a level, or maybe mm-hmm. you get a new spell, new skill, new weapon uh-huh. for for your troubles and upgrade materials. Uh, they all feel substantial. Yeah. On top of that, most of the stuff you encounter, like, all right, I, I don't know how many enemies on horseback I have fought in Elden Ring. There are a lot, and they have similar move sets, but they they feel like they have enough effort put in them that they do feel a bit different from from like mm-hmm. previous fights I've had. So I'm not that salty about recycled bosses. Yeah. yeah. And the. Uh... Like the the the, the quote unquote recycled content um, do feel like they naturally belong in that area. It's not like yeah we're just gonna put it there because this area has to have content in it, right? It, it feels like they're they're naturally part of like that that area that you're looking to explore and stuff like that. And um, you know the 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 same kind of elements is also of of course present in, in Breath of the Wild specifically for Legends of Zelda. Like you're free to explore. You know, you're free to put the main story on the side and explore the world any way you want. And there's also that sense of discovery because there's also, like, a lot of stuff that you can do and uh, ways to, 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 like, also explore. Um, the I guess also the one best thing about both of these games is when you pick up stuff, you can't just, like, pick it up automatically. Your character doesn't pause for, like, three ten seconds just to have this like f- neat animation of them yeah. <laughs> like picking up so you can just like effects. run over it press a button and that's it it's in your inventory now and there's no burden on how many items you could carry except for your gear right yeah yeah yeah. if it's in, if it's in your inventory then you can carry it as much as you want it, it, right, it only thing... adds weight as once you wear them or, or like equip them and stuff like that one thing that I would have to say about Elden Ring versus um, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring is a lot more unpredictable compared to Elden, to Breath of the Wild's world. 
Like, mm-hmm. uh, where did you really expect to find a dungeon here? Or did you really expect to find a boss here? Or item, weapons, skills? Uh, it's hard to tell what you're going to find in a certain direction. And that's actually one of the reasons why it's very engaging to explore. Because what's that over there? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the constant question I, I ask whenever I'm playing. I, like, I had one friend watch me play. And I said, okay, I want to go to the tree. Uh, to the to my, the minor earth tree of this area. It took me about an hour to get there. Not because it was far. But because every turn I took, I saw something that, hey, that looks kind of interesting. What's that over there? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Although, you can say that it's different with Breath of the Wild. But at least, in some ways, Elden Ring managed to evolve the aspect on what Breath of the Wild introduced in the way how we see open world nowadays. Like, the right, sense of... Breath Breath of the Wild. Yeah. yeah, the sense of discovery. You have to remember, uh, Breath of the Wild is not Dark Souls game. It's more on the usual Little Zelda, but more of a refined approach as it's their first take on an open world and it land and they really executed really well. Because mm-hmm. remember when we first played Breath of the Wild for the first time, we had a sense of discovery that it doesn't rely too much on markers or maybe story progression. It encouraged you to go in your own pacing on how you play the game. Especially when we see a lot of highlight reels on some players, how they deal with certain enemies. That the game didn't teach you to do that. But it encouraged you to experiment at how you fight. And how you would encounter, uh, experiment with the surroundings. Like, remember, uh, when you beat up a lot of enemies, even the boss, they would yeah. stay dead for a, for a period of time until like the blood moon would ro- arise in some certain times that it resets all the or respawns all of the monsters in the entire area. And it also gives you this uh, sense of, you know, being in a natural world that you don't need to farm in one area just to get enough materials or maybe uh, gears. Because remember, uh, weapons have durability. So if you break it, you have to find another one. And it... Although I don't like that kind of approach for durability, but it gives it a different approach in how you play the game. Like, well, especially when you try to discover the new high, high end game equipment, even the Master Sword, that mm-hmm. even if it says that it doesn't break, but it's uh, probably its functionality would be limited if you overuse it for a long time. So it mm-hmm. encourages you to think smart in how you would approach in some certain scenarios. And even exploring, like, in some ways, some people would use their gadgets to traverse, like, building up the inertia in some of the cube on some of the blocks, so they would fly farther, and then use the glide to traverse (laughs) there. Some people just experiment on that, and it's kind of fun. And they would discover some new areas there, although not could be, not like the level of Elden Ring in terms of dungeons, mines, or catacombs, but probably labyrinths. That you did use to upgrade your stamina or maybe your life. And then you would encounter some boss that are really smart. That you have to, you know, do a different approach. You, sometimes you can't do melee. You have to do range. But you don't have any range weapons. So you have to do parries. To not to deflect their blast. Uh-huh. And then... Not sure if you played one part where you go to this, like... Uh, what do they call those... Uh, 
long-legged machines that <laughs> the music would change whenever they tried to target do a lock on target on you and you can see like laser markers on your head now I have to run or you die <laughs> and then some players okay. would do some radical approaches on that and manage to beat it really well but in some cases when the first time you would experience this it has the sense of <laughs> fear that you might screw it up and then yeah let's make it more alive actually I think that's what a better term for this and it also makes it really fun to explore. Even if it doesn't have much content, like a lot of secret dungeons or secret, you know, side quests, the way you would approach the game or you would uh, venture the game would be different in every from other people. And I think uh, Elden Ring managed to evolve that approach and made it a lot better. Though I'm pretty sure, or I probably understand that some people would be would not appreciate the difficulty. Maybe it's not their cup of tea, but for those who really endured the opening parts of Elden Ring, pretty sure hundred percent of them are appreciating the game now. Mm, yeah, I mean, okay, uh, definitely, gonna, definitely was a fan of Elden Ring. On, you know what? I I'm gonna have to like uh, hit back on the Elden Ring's design actually, because I remember specifically during the middle parts where I had no idea what to do. Or no idea how to proceed. Mm-hmm. I was borderline wanting to quit the game. I think there's <laughs> yeah. I think there's some parts in some games that there are little to no hints on how you would do that. Sometimes it gets you lost in your progression. Yeah. It is especially so. in like an open world games such as Elden Ring, and you know, I guess to be fair to Elden Ring, compared to like your typical Souls games. This game already has a lot of hints, but at the same time, I would agree with with Alan. It does make you feel lost sometimes. Like, okay, where do I go next? What do I need to do next? Yeah. What's because and because you, because you don't have that typical you know that that checkbox feature that majority of like open world games has, especially if it's developed by Western developers. Um, but it really leaves you to like explore and find out like really where where you'd have to go and yeah it's true for some people that can be a bit frustrating because um you know you don't have you, you don't have quest markers you don't have anything like uh the sides of grace where if you look at the mini map um it does show you kind of like directions uh to to, to, to some extent but like not all of them it's like no. it, it's leading you on to something but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the like only or the the the, the surefire path into like the the main storyline or, or or stuff like that. All right. The, the term is like the yellow brick road. Yellow brick road is mm-hmm. uh, how you're gonna progress the story or the main campaign of that game. Mm-hmm. Now the ideally, like if you start Elden Ring that and you follow the initial paths of Grace, you will find that on the world map they do point to where the nearby bosses are. Meaning, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. meaning. If you end up in a place much further from the Yellow Brick Road, it's going to point to a direction of where the nearby boss is, which is not part of the main campaign. Oh, yeah. Now, the thing mm-hmm. is, the thing with the, with the Elden Ring is if you find the certain like entrance or door that will lead you to the next part, you, you're kind of good for a good long while because nat- you will naturally progress... Just move forward. You will get to the next town, to the next path, a point of grace, to the next boss, until you get to the next 
major objective. But there are certain breakpoints within this game where you just cannot find figure out where that is. You cannot <laughs> figure out where that next step is. And that was the part that was really frustrating. Oh yeah, I think And I actually mm-hmm. uh I actually like to the point that I went to look for a guide on the map for, which is Fexter Life Wiki. Imagine me praising this game so hard for not holding my hand and I come crawling <laughs> to a wiki asking begging for answers. Please, please where's the where's the next flask it upgrade? Happens. It happens. Where's the next Where's the next Where's the next how do I proceed with the story? Help me. Maybe, no. Yeah, maybe the approach here is for a really successful open world game is how frequent or how less frequent we are relying on guides. <laughs> the less we yeah. rely on guides, the better for an open world game is. <laughs> yep, it is. But yeah, if there, the, they were, these were like certain points only, on, or there were only at points where I really wanted to clean up this quest. I didn't know how to to uh, proceed with it because the the information they gave me is just not sufficient. Like these kind of things. Yeah, maybe too but, vague, right? Yeah, but the, I would do, do this like maybe like 10% of the entire playthrough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess those are the stuff that we encounter in exploration type of... Or ex- exploration approach on open world games. And yeah, we had a lot of stuff to say about with Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild. And I think we need to proceed to the next one. Which is more of an, I guess, a combination of all, perhaps. And those are like the sandbox approach. Where, yeah, we could do anything we want, but something that is going to the next level, like way beyond what we really want to do. And these examples are like uh, Red Dead Redemption and probably Grand Theft Auto. Ah, yeah, Grand Theft Auto. Um, yeah, this is the best thing with 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 the sandbox game because, um, at least for like Grand Theft Auto Five, the whole world is open for you to explore. There's nothing really locked behind any. You know, like story progression or stuff like that, mm. and you can just go and explore the world without doing anything. Yeah, like, you don't have to follow a quest or complete anything. You follow the stories, just go out there and do stuff for yeah. yourself. Or like something. do do zero story progressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the uh, same thing with like Red Dead. Red- Although, like with at least with Red Dead Redemption Two, there there are like um, certain areas where. Uh, it feels like it's locked behind a, a quest, but you can still somehow access them in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, th- there's also like you know what we mentioned earlier, random encounters. Like like along the way, even if you're not doing like story quests, even if you're just uh, exploring the world, you get to have these random encounters with people that you can either save or like also have their own like mini storylines in them, and 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 stuff like that. And uh, Red Dead Redemption Two also has a even with one, there's a more there's a morality or honor system, yeah, which kind of changes the way how people kind of um, treat you in game, how they respond to you, and of course changes the endings uh, in a bit. For Grand Theft Auto, especially in GTA Five, um, it's not essentially a a, a morale or, or honor system, uh, but like the way you hire people to do your like main quest jobs. Um, kind of affects uh, part of the outcome, like the, the, the success rate of, of, of your heist or, or, or stuff like that. But yeah, the bottom line is, no, you don't. You're not limited by anything. You you just can't. You, 
hell you, you don't even have to do anything and just discover the world for your own there's no like um level limitations there's no story limitations you can just be whenever I guess the problem with these type of games, though, uh, because it's a sandbox, right? Like, you're free to explore, you're free to do anything. The whole world just kind of feels like a backdrop to the main story. Like, sure, you have random encounters, you have places that you have to explore, but if you really think about it, it feels kind of empty. Yeah. In, in, in honestly. Unless in, when you're in, like, in, in towns or cities or hubs. Yeah, sure, there's people in there. But, like, if... If you, if, you, if you really like explore the open world and think about it, there's really not a lot of stuff to do rather than discovering and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. I think the great part about I, these are Rockstar games, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The great part about Rockstar open worlds is uh, one, you don't normally have a progression system, meaning mm-hmm. that's your life, that is your max HP, is your attack, uh, the, these are your stats. We don't care what you do. Do whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, and you know, you can be a taxi driver in in, in yeah. yeah role play. <laughs> yeah, you can you can be a taxi driver in GTA, and that's pretty amazing. But what's actually for me like extra amazing about stuff like GTA, uh, what you call it, uh, Watch Dogs Two. Oh uh, yeah, Watch Dogs that, Two. That uh, I really like Watch Dogs Two, but uh, is how they kind of have this. Satire of modern society because we oh, live in a society. Right. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they would have a joke about Steve Jobs and then Elon Musk or or Trump or uh, mainly like U.S. icons. They would have these spoof characters, and you kind of dunk on all of them in mm-hmm. one way or the other. Like you dunk on paparazzi culture, you dunk on you dunk on like uh, teenagers being like way too into phones or something. Uh, they have all these jokes, and this is the wonderful part about it. Because it's a, since it's an open world, you can do anything with it, and I guess that's what you mean by sandbox. Because I was wondering what what do you mean by sandbox in GTA? I don't really recognize that as a sandbox. Because when I when I imagine sandbox, I immediately think about Minecraft. My, yeah, like, that's the yeah. first thing that comes into mind: Minecraft or like Roblox. You know? <laughs> yeah, so you normally build something, but I guess if you say put it in, in such a way that oh, it's the fact that the creators, not just the player, but the, also the creators, are are behind the game can just put anything in that world and it makes sense and they can have fun with it. Yeah, I can see why that why that's amazing. I I, I always like found like when I understood the reference that they were going for, I was laughing like I don't know half the time I was playing GTA 5. Mhm. Yeah. For for oh, yeah. stuff like Red Dead Redemption, like it felt more like a mini uh, it was like half of the time I felt like I was going to a museum. Because they would reference like historic characters or events and uh, and like inventions or you know the the chasing a train and you were actually taking part in this great robbery back <laughs> then in 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 the eighteen sixties blah 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 you know I was like oh yeah this is pretty neat so and and then somehow we unlock fast travel in that game finally oh God. <laughs> okay. That that was like my one one true my one true gripe with Red Dead Redemption Two. Like, when is fast travel gonna happen, boys? Please, please. <laughs> yeah. But they also uh-huh. put in oh. all this content that's up to you to like to to interpret. Like, uh, yeah, encountering the Ku Klux Klan or from encountering Ku Klux Klan to I don't know, like uh, 
the 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 alternative or the the, the what they would equate to as Burger King or McDonald's in Grand Theft Auto and what they would do with it. These are very entertaining to me. So that's what that's what I find like fun. I actually am zero percent interested in any of their stories because the world is very uh, it's very much alive in the sense that it reflects what we live in today or what we live through as a society. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like having a br- real breeding world, but in some cases it depends in some games. Like maybe in the earlier games it feels really flat or really dead. Like for example, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, San Andreas, those are the early Grand Theft Auto games where mm-hmm. you could just do anything you want be a robber, just yeah. rob banks, build up your notoriety level, like cops chasing after you, yeah, or yeah. maybe the entire army, or in some cases, maybe you would do some side quests, help out people, or maybe, you know, <clears throat> finishing some missions, and then build up money. And that's, I think, when Rockstar finally opened up a multiplayer version for Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, like the online versions where... Mm-hmm. They expanded the sandbox capabilities of these games where you could build up your own mansions, save up money, buy your own cars, decorate your crib, meet up with other players, do random stuff. I've seen a lot of people do live streams on sandbox versions of Grand Theft Auto Online where they create mm-hmm. this sort of uh, game show like of levels where you have to jump off some areas, or maybe uh, walking on a thin plank on somewhere in like 5,000 foot feet above ground something. <laughs> Those kind of crazy content that they could do. Like, mm-hmm. you would usually see on Minecraft nowadays. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the how power they... Mods. Yeah, the power of mods, or maybe the online versions. I haven't played the online version, so I can't say much if these are mods, or maybe these are like actual part of the game because that's right. their. I saw yeah. one thing that was super wild with Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. Online, and this is this was uh, people discovering a bug with the grenade launcher. <laughs> so, when you arm a grenade launcher and you melee attack with it, there's a chance that the grenade will fire, mm-hmm. meaning you blow yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and since you don't really upgrade your HP ever. You're probably gonna die. Yep. Yeah. So people started doing uh, grenade launcher Russian relay <laughs> on <laughs> on the online. online. It was it's funny. So they all start with the all grenade launchers. They walk up to a car and hit it once, like melee attack it once with the grenade launcher equipped. If then you know if they all live, great. Next round, we're all gonna do two attacks on the on but the but car then, like, just, until just there's only it. one survivor. <laughs> so. And this is like it's hilarious, and this is this is pretty much what an open like I can see what you mean by making your own activities. Yeah. When you're able to like interpret bugs into features. <laughs> yeah. So, so, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, with 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 Grand Theft, Auto, especially with with online, right? I mean, uh, people go in there and play to role play. Yeah. Like you know, like some people. Okay, so like in this server, uh, this is what I do. I'm like I'm like a cop or like. I'm a taxi driver, or, or or I'm a medic, and stuff like that. And um, you know, maybe with 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 our listeners, um, how many how many of us 
played Grand Theft Auto, not just five, but even like San Andreas and Vice City, just to mess around. Yeah, like a big right. Hands. Like we're, we're yeah, like we're we're not even doing like hell. When I first played Vice City, I don't even know that this game has quests. I thought I just like drive around. There's and a campaign. Let the cops chase you. There's a campaign in here. Are, we, are you talking about <laughs> logging into into Vice City and just enabling cheats and doing? Yes. Yeah, and just doing whatever you can. You know, I. I, I can't just spawn a tank and fight everyone. I, I I there's also like a story that I can't discover. I can punch what people. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> right? right? How many of us have done that? And you know that, that's that's where the sun the, 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 the sandbox approach comes. Because you're not you're not you're not limited. You're not you're not like, limited by, by a lot of stuff. You can do a lot of things on your own. Story is optional. Just enjoy the world the way you want to. And the uh, same thing, they if there are a lot of uh, Easter eggs, a lot of secrets that you can like, you can like follow. I mean, you know, like like Grand Theft Auto Five is 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 or the Grand Theft Auto series in itself is very infamous for or famous rather for its secrets. Like um like in GTA Four where like the Statue of Liberty has like a a beating heart. The the UFO in 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 GTA Five and, and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> that's so. That's... <laughs> so so wow. there's a. And and there's there's also uh you know the the Bigfoot theory where, where which a lot of people have been like arguing about and like Rockstar kind of refused to confirm nor deny that it's in there. So, so Rockstar actually has a ton of ARGs. Right. Right. right? Like, yeah. 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 And like 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 in game, there's aside from the main story, aside from the stuff that you can discover in the open world, there's also this smaller like side quests, random encounters that that if you follow. Could really lead to something very interesting. So I remember yeah. something like that, like in uh, I think it's GTA Five, where it's possible for you to do ghost hunting. Oh yeah, I uh, think so. You, you look it up on yes, YouTube. Yes, ghost yes, stories yes. In GTA yes, yeah, 5. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can like um, there's a certain time, uh, in 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 a certain place in the map where if like you're there, you can actually see ghosts or, or something like that. Like in-game mystery, you see? That's that's, that's very yeah, cool. Those those urban legends in game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In-game urban legends. Yeah, I guess it's also the fun part with sandbox games that you would play at your own pace. Though it's kind of different with some games like Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild. Like you play it in your own style because you have a purpose. You have a reason why you're doing you're doing that, and that's to finish the game. And as compared with how you approach for Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, like the sandbox kind of approach is you just play in your own way, but because you just want to have fun and not just mm-hmm. to finish the game, but probably just, you know, waste uh, spend, waste some extra time just doing nothing. Just, you know, do some funny stuff inside the game. Maybe as probably other reasons like doing content or maybe experiment on the design or whatever or just you know sheer mayhem so those like the novelty for things like Grand Theft Auto and you know despite being a 10 year old game Rockstar still released this on the modern consoles because you know they know this still works <laughs> it's it's catching up to Skyrim it's gonna be in uh, yeah. every console ever it's, it's because <laughs> because they know they can get away with it actually yeah and this is like a good topic now to move on since we already tackled with sandbox games, it's time to t- focus more on the content-heavy kind of approach games, like you know, games, open-world games filled with side quests. And mm-hmm. we know some games are notorious to this, to this like RPGs, 
such as Skyrim, and also with The Witcher 3. Though mm. it's still in a good way, kind of, you know, side quest. And even uh, even Ubisoft games are notorious for this, you know, he- uh, ga- open world games that are heavy on side quests. And the thing here is, it gives you more content, probably more or perhaps extra lore for you to digest in this specific world in this game. And mm-hmm. Skyrim and The Witcher does it really well as it gives more stories because the reason for you to pursue for side quests is either A, you're after the loot because it gives you a really cool gear or maybe something that's really powerful or B, you're in it for its story because you want to discover the story and why this 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 kind of side quest exists and then you get invested more on it than the actual campaign. <laughs> and Skyrim <laughs> is really notorious to it. Like, I remember tackling on the Thieves Guild, finishing it, and I really appreciated it. And I got derailed more because of it. Or maybe the vampire thingy or versus werewolf kind of side quest where you have to pick a side, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to become part of them, like become a vampire or become a werewolf. Forgot if it's mm-hmm. uh, if it's correct. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there is a quest where like it, you kind of discover the power of being a werewolf and stuff like that. And, yeah. Uh, you can only have like one curse, and and yeah, I, I would have to agree, especially with Witcher Three. Um, there's there's a lot of side quests, there's a lot of quests that you can that you can tackle, uh, at, at certain chapters in the story, which um kind of yes, it kind of derails you from from the main story in itself. But, uh, you know, these side quests can be very rewarding. Like it doesn't really affect your progression by that much. There are certain points in the story which can get affected by side quests, though. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's like it's there for you to explore. It doesn't really, like, uh, like, like it really catches your attention that once you get started to it, you you kind of commit all the way into finishing it. Yeah. Um, For, for Skyrim, although I, I know people will argue that it's more of a sandbox sort of approach, but I do agree that uh, it, it it is also filled to the brim with a lot of side content, a lot of quests that you can follow, a lot of stuff that you can discover. Like yeah, the, the one thing, uh, like the the, the guilds, the, the 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 thieves guild, the uh dark brotherhood, you know where where you take on uh or you you become part of like a group of assassins and and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, the the ongoing you know civil war mm-hmm. where you, you also have to like pick a side, uh because like first time I played Skyrim I just followed the story right, I yeah. was done with it in like six hours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. Th- because the main story is just that. It's pretty short. That's why the other content, once you discover these side quests, that kind of expands your playtime into like a hundred hours or more. Because there's just so much stuff to do. It's it's kind of different with like the Grand Theft Auto Five, the sandbox approach, wherein you know, of course, there are content to discover, but for the most part, you're just free to discover the world on your own. With Skyrim okay. and The Witcher, same. You can still explore the world on your own, but you can easily discover stuff where there's a linear style of progression in it. You can have a random encounter in the middle of the road somewhere, and apparently, oh wow, this is a side quest. That that was something. Now I have to follow this. Now I have to see this through. So so, so yeah, uh, the the quest content style of approach is 
is very strong in games like Skyrim and The Witcher 3 for like open world RPGs. I, I would agree. I have committed like the extra secret side quest of playing Witcher, of not playing Witcher and Skyrim ever. <laughs> So I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Oh, no. But, oh, no. Now you're missing out but, a lot of stuff. Now, look, I haven't even finished Trials of Cold Steel 3, right? Like, I have... I, Alan, like, that's not an open world. These, <laughs> yeah, but it, consider, like, how much time they take to complete. I have mm-hmm. played before, though, something I could consider so, so, sort of similar based on what you guys are saying, which is Kingdoms of Amalur. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of... Oh, yes. You know, you, I you remember from, that. From... From you go from point to point B, there's mission A, mission B, but like it might as well be an online game. It might as well be FF14 or or World of Warcraft, like when it was good, <laughs> uh, where you you can like start like several quests all at the same time and just start uh, finishing them because uh, some of them are just in related areas. Like oh, this one has a boss in Dungeon B, and this one has a gathering quest in Dungeon B. All right, might as well do all these. But all of the stuff I'm doing has nothing, has nothing to do with the main quest. Zero. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So I understand what you guys are talking about. Uh, I don't know how progression worked in Skyrim or uh, or Witcher, especially Witcher. Like I rarely see playthroughs of Witcher. Skyrim, I see it well enough, so I kind of get it. But Kingdoms of Amalur, like it might as well be an online game. In, in how it was designed, yeah. and uh, you set you, you start a bunch of quests, and you and you clear them, kind of like um, I guess it is a lot like uh, Assassin's Creed, like Odyssey or or Origins or Valhalla, because these are the type. This is the transition point where they went to more of an RPG approach. Yeah, even mm-hmm. well for Amalur, it's yeah kind of the same with how Skyrim and The Witcher Three d- does. And some people even compared it like an offline version of WoW Classic because on how the content was driven and how the design mm-hmm. goes. And it's, it's, a, it's a compliment, actually. And yeah, I remember playing Amalur before and I also got drowned with so many side quests because there's so many things that you, have, you could discover and you would be mm-hmm. itching to do because there's this mindset that you want to be stronger for your progression on the story, main story. So you had this thought of why not try other quests while I'm, you know, venturing yeah. in my main story. And then until you just realize that, oh no, I'm already 50 hours in my game time and already, and my main story is for level 10 or 20 something. And I'm level 50. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something like that. Like that, that could happen in Skyrim. Like, um, I mean, everyone knows the iconic opening scene right, where you get uh, caught as like, the dragonborn and your head almost gets cut off but mm-hmm. after that sequence after you get out you're just free to go wherever you want to yeah you don't need to like you know because like it's, it's not give you a hint like, yeah you have to go to this area so like talk to this one and this one but you don't really have to you can't just go to the edge of the world and just find whatever it is that you want to find and just explore the world for yourself of course, there are some stuff, there are some items, some skills that are kind of locked behind story, but they don't really um, affect your exploration by that much. There, uh, and uh, of course, with, with how you tackle side quests as well, like they don't. Like once you discover a side quest, you don't really have 
oh you have to be like this level or you have to have like this quest yeah <clears throat> like it, it exists in some of them but not all of them which is like really really nice and yeah i mean when you feel like it you can just get back to the main story and just continue on yeah but uh, like for the most part they just, just do side quests all day every day yeah. <laughs> that's why you see those meme memes on Legend of Zelda before like you need to save the world but you see Link be- getting busy with other stuff <laughs> yeah oh I need to go fishing first yeah go fishing or whatever <laughs> so those are the kind of sti- kind of things that you could see in this uh, quest or content driven open world games is there's mm. there are too many distractions and it's for a good thing because it has rewards like when you finish certain side quests it could alter the direction and how people, how the car- NPCs would see at you. Or some cases, you could get really cool loot that could be beneficial in your pro- story progression. Make it easier okay. for you to play, or maybe you're itching to get this kind of reward for that certain build that you're going for. Or perhaps maybe cosmetic stuff. A lot of things. Hmm. And that drives motivation for people to do side quests and yeah yeah, there's a high tendency for you to get distracted and eventually stop playing the game because (laughs) you got exhausted with too many uh too many side quests but of course it's more on how you pace the game so Mm -hmm. it's more of you know uh, more of a filler content actually if you think Mm -hmm. about it i mean uh maybe maybe to to add one or something like, like in skyrim you can finish a side quest where you get to own a house and have a wife and uh, and and adopt children, so and then you could do it as a proper ending now, and you can just yeah you know. yeah yeah. <laughs> and, and, and same thing, you could like I mean I've I've heard like stories before. Uh, I know there was one guy who played Skyrim as an NPC. Like he didn't bother doing the story or doing or doing side because he just lived there as an NPC. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> so the game never actually ended. Yeah, again, but, but like the world is still it, it it's unchanged. It was there, it's still there for him yeah. to explore. It's just that, yeah, I'm just gonna pretend like I'm an NPC in this yeah. game. For him, that's the ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for him, that's the ending. <laughs> so, I guess this is more of a there's more of an open world that's really focused on the role playing aspect. Of yeah, the ga- actually, of what mm-hmm. a game could be. Yeah, because uh, you're not you're pick not you're not necessarily influencing the world. It's more of you're just picking what you want to do as a character of that world. You're not uh, you're not gonna call like oil tankers and blow them up in a row, or, and like get to wanted level five or anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know you want to be you you want to be the, the the next dragon king. Yeah, it's yeah. dragonborn. It's dragonborn. more how you would blend or, in the world. Yeah, or, or how you do blend. You want to farm cheese. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. That's a that's a view of it. You, you, that's all, you can also do that. You can be the, the king of cheese if you want to. Like, <laughs> well, that sounds like a more sustainable aspect, you know, uh, prospect to me. So just does that. Like, so yeah, I guess there's there is that. I mean, you could kind of say that uh, this isn't this is a instead of instead of like learning more of the world, it's becoming more of a. Uh, part of that world, mm-hmm. I guess. It's like a, a it's kind of like Fallout Two, Three. Like yeah, you, you play through a story, but yeah, three and four, right? Ah, uh, three and four. Yeah, two, two is more more linear. Yeah, it's but more three, of isolate. Like, yeah, you can you can just do what you want, 
Uh, you don't actually have to finish the game. You don't have to play in the way that we intend for you. Uh, just do, just, you know, like this is Fallout. You yeah. Can... Have have fun in the post-apocalypse. You know? Yeah, fun. Have fun <laughs> of being an adventurer. Yeah. So yeah. Until you get an arrow to the knee. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I guess that's four of the aspects or focus that we see on open world games. But I think we could, yeah. uh, before we end the program, maybe we could talk about what things we'd love in open world games. Probably some things that we haven't seen yet, maybe, or perhaps something that we could say as an our ideal open world game in our, you know, in our perspectives or our certain tastes. Okay, I guess I'll start because uh, I actually suggested this topic, which is kind of ironic because I'm being dunked on for not reading notes, even though I actually just didn't understand it. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, I came up with I, I I brought up this topic because uh, when Elden Ring came out, it absolutely dunked on Horizon Forbidden West, and I felt like the criticism against Forbidden West was kind of unfair because mm-hmm. I understood them as completely different games. They have. Uh, the thing is, we say open world game, but there's actually like several subgenres to open world games. Yeah, and not everybody recognizes that. Like they'll either say they'll either call it it's a good open world or a bad open world. But the thing is, they just have different objectives entirely. Uh, Elden Ring wants you to suffer. I mean, uh, wants you to fight <laughs> bosses. So they'll just uh, put you up to against this, these challenges, and it's up to you how you encounter them. How do you fall back and like explore elsewhere, or do you? Do you go past the dungeon and uh, foolishly proceed to the next boss under leveled and under equipped? Mm-hmm. Do you this is stuff like that, or uh, or do you go to like make the for Horizon Forbidden West route, like where I am honestly, I have zero interest in Alloy's story. I want to know more about these robot dinosaurs. This is the Zoids game I've been waiting for. Like I want to fight all these things, and that's what I want to focus on. But they keep throwing things at me. Hey, you need to go forward with the story or else you can't do this or that. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> so there is that. So there is the more character-focused <clears throat> stories and the more world-focused uh, uh, stories where, you know, you're in you're tarnished. No, you don't even have an actual name in the game. Yeah. Nobody calls you by your name. Yeah, you're uh, the tarnished. It's more about all these characters trying to get by and trying to uh to make sense of the world that's utterly screwed in in every sense of the word right versus forbidden west where you have a protagonist you have your like trusty allies and you try to proceed the story because the story completely uh it's it completely balances on what the character will do which is kind of uh already set right there's you can't really change how the story will progress. Yeah. So yeah, there's all these things, mm-hmm. and then there's then there's the Minecraft, Roblox, which is like literally do whatever you want. Uh, GTA Five, you can do what you want ish. Uh, you can mess with our world as much as you like, and then there's these Skyrims that Skyrim, like I kind of think of as Dragon Age, but it's not really the same thing at all. <laughs> uh, but they they kind of root in the same way where. There are a bunch of chain quests. You can proceed with them how you like based on uh, the decisions you want to make. You kind of affect the story, kind of not. You know, it's a uh, open world is like bottom line. Open world is much broader thing than anybody might think. 
when they're trying to compare games. Mm-hmm. And I and I I I just kind of wanted to give like uh, Horizon Forbidden West a fair shake because that thing is a great game. It's just that it's not for everybody. Yeah. I guess I could say that I want to see in open world games is <clears throat> your progression has a sense of reward in terms of the narrative. Like, for example, you're an adventurer. Whenever you do something good, people will remember you or something like that. And you would see that change of narrative or how would NPCs uh-huh. react to you. Mm-hmm. I think a good example here is, yeah, with Dragon Age, like, Whenever you accomplish some certain uh, quest, like there will be some changes in how some characters would look upon you. I think the closest one is Inquisition in terms of having a Sudowo oh, yeah. open world, right? It has this. Yeah, and Inquisition aspect. was the next great game of Dragon Age yeah. Origins, in my opinion. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think the pinnacle could be or uh, Inquisition, and it's something that I also enjoy, especially how you would portray your character. You could be a ruthless character or be like a, you know, really honorful kind of person. Mm-hmm. And the how you would direct your progression and how you would react to certain characters had an impact probably in the story or maybe how some characters would react on you as NPCs, perhaps. I appreciate that because it gives like, a certain importance for your character and it's not like some ordinary random character that's like a side you know being like sidetracked and then you have to watch some of the other main characters bringing the the progress of the story so so you're saying you're you like you're more of a fan of the telltale approach you know like uh, yeah based on what you do you affect not only like certain events in the world but uh like how other every other character will view what you've done yeah, it's like yeah. you're really playing in a real breathing world. That whenever oh, actions okay. you take, you do, there will there will be some consequences or maybe some benefits. So mm-hmm. it kind of works that way. And another thing, another thing is maybe some aspects in like Metal Gear, Peace Walker, and uh, Phantom Pain, like Many how machines. how <laughs> you would perform in the game. Like if you do honorable kills or maybe stealth takedowns you have this kind of alignment of being good. And then if you try to be more violent, you would see like your horns growing, <laughs> like being a real demon. Oh, that. And then oh, how yeah, how your that. characters nice. would react nice. to you in your in Mother Base, sort of thing. Or maybe it has some progression, like you build up your own army and you do the side quest and thing and how you would approach some gameplay. I think uh, that's another good example I, I would like to see is... How you would approach your uh, your playstyle, like being an, an exploration type of approach, where in Phantom Pain, I remember you could be creative in take doing your kills, and I've seen a lot of people doing highlight reels, like it's a sandbox game or something, like they do stupid things, like decoys, confusing the AI, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's kind of fun. Oh. Although I still like how they would give you this portrayal. And how, depending on how what actions you do, those are the things I really appreciate in open world games because, yeah, it makes it real alive, and your character has an importance, and not just you know, some random character that is not part of the story, but you're still part participating on some of the major plots in the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, 
I guess for me, uh, like stuff that we'd love to see more in open world games is, you know, to have that natural sense of uh, exploration and the progression in 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 the world itself. Uh, so yeah, just like in Ghost of Tsushima, wherein uh, you have the wind guiding you to your next objective, or you have like, you know, uh, these these foxes or or these birds that kind of tell you that hey, there's something interesting in here coming on uh same thing with 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 elden ring where it just naturally or any breath of the world where things just naturally come to you where you see something and you'd and you'd say for yourself there might be something in there i i, I want to go and it and also like it rewards you for it right mm-hmm. like um a bit of hand holding is fine a bit of like information being fed to the player is fine but you know uh i i, I would say game maker should should just stop the constant spoon feeding like you know try to treat your gamers as people who could think as well <laughs> for themselves like let them let them discover new stuff on their own and and make it feel like very natural like within the world yeah you could just so, teach them like in the early parts but don't spoon feed them too much yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. heard that i heard that uh some developers some some designers mm-hmm. like they would be uh confronted by their like publishers or something and they mm-hmm. would go like hey you took five working days to finish this dungeon with this optional boss and you didn't even put a signpost on how to find this optional boss <laughs> i pay you to make this dungeon and they might not even find it can you justify this cost like like i, I feel for those that have to go through that and ha- kind mm-hmm. of have to be the standard barrier for like we don't have to hold their hand all the time. They'll figure it out. Let them discover yeah. it, kind of deal. Yeah, but it's something that's it's not that makes you lost, at least mm-hmm. for that aspect. I mean, you know, stuff like that. Especially side content also kind of adds to like the replayability of the game. Like what what Chad mentioned earlier, right? Where like he discovered a catacomb, and then, yeah. w- and then like people actually did not know that it was there before. Right, so oh, so if man. ever yeah. so, so so like if ever they finish the game, they was like, oh okay, I'm gonna pick up the game again because there's this actually cool thing that people are discovering right now, and it just happens like naturally, you know. Yeah, like, like uh, so after I reviewed the game and Elden Ring released, I saw all sorts of places that I've never been to, and these right? people were playing <laughs> playing the game. This is their first or second day playing the game. Like, what? Where is that? How'd you get there? <laughs> yeah. What is that? So yeah. Yeah. So there, like in terms of uh, you know things about Seymour, that's one. And uh, I also kind of like agree on Chad's idea of having this like morale or honor system, where like the NPCs, the people within the world, react uh, based on how you approach your quest, how you like uh, fight bosses, or like or like complete missions in the game. That would also be like a really nice touch. Um, I think a a, a great example, uh, although it's not an open world game would be the Mass Effect series. Oh yes, Mass Effect. Right? Like 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 one and two. Like we're in you know, like your your dialogue choices do affect how people kind of treat you or, or, or talk to you over time. Because like um in, 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 in many like open world games right now, of course you do get dialogue choices, right? But uh for for the most part, especially in I guess the most recent one would be like Horizon the Horizon game series, it's those are built for you to just get more information. It's not like when you're given like a definite uh, a, a a definite choice 
that would change the way the NPCs or the people in the open world look at you or 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 interact with you. So yeah, having that sort of system in an actual open world would be very very interesting, uh, especially if like maybe the game makers or developers can incorporate it in a way that it does affect, you know, your mains your 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 story progression and this allows for like different endings or like different ways into finishing the game. So yeah. yeah. I also want to like to add like for the aspect in Mass Effect, especially how they carry on your progression to succeeding games. I think it's all ah, the same yes, with Dragon yes. Quest, a uh, Dragon Quest, mm-hmm. Dragon Age. I mean, like that's why Bioware has this social media system where you can create your save data from previous games mm-hmm. and change how the aspect on some of the situations there, like decision makings. For example, mm-hmm. like if you don't have your old copy or your old save data, you could create a new one and adapt the situations on some key aspect of the story to what so decisions. So just change some decisions. Yeah, because like, it has yeah. big impact on some oh. succeeding games. For example, mm-hmm. I remember playing Mass Effect 3, but I managed to finish Mass Effect 2. But I had I finished the game on the PS3 at that time, and I played Mass Effect 3 on the PC. So I don't have my old save data at the time. And I encounter some of the default settings on Mass Effect 3 to be really a letdown because it's a different you'll be seeing a different experience because of that. And you'll see some characters being replaced in some side quests or maybe some aspects in the game that could change how your mindset in the previous game was. So what I did is I tried to find a save data that is as close as with my previous playthrough on the PS3 and load it up on my new game for Mass Effect 3. And the progression was really seamless on how I see it on Mass Effect 2. And I really appreciate the game more because of that. Because, for example, I made the decision to keep this character alive or the entire crew to be alive. And in Part 3 on Mass Effect, I can see them and then they have this new interaction or dialogue to me and recalling on those previous encounters. So it makes that, you know, that's why what I pre- that's what I really appreciate with certain games and I would like love to see it on open world games where your decision has an impact or your actions has an impact on the world itself. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting, but I think Mass Effect is sort of an exception because it decided to keep a constant running timeline between its uh between its games. Yeah, but also for so... even for Dragon Age Oh, did they? Yeah, they also had that kind of aspect where uh, you remember, right, for Origins, if you, in the end part of the game, you could let this certain character either be killed or spared, or you could choose oh, your yeah, character, yeah, yeah. your one of your party members to become king or not, right? And yeah, it has an impact in the future games. Yep, yep, 100%. I do remember these. Okay. I can see that, like, but I'm not sure, like, uh, if I want to have, like, such a huge commitment to a game, like, I want to run a bunch of saves and yeah, and and uh, just, for example, I want to get into like, let's say, Mass Effect three immediately. I see how that's yeah. valuable. But at least for even for just one game, maybe the kind of progression it would do. For example, okay. if it's like a chapter base, or maybe there's like a time skip that you could see the difference. Those kind of those kind of uh, aspects I would love to see. All right. So yeah, I guess that's uh, we're almost at two hour mark now. So um, oh, okay, 
Oh wait, you I guess if, if I want to close mine, like, right. what I want to see out of like open world games mm-hmm. or just games in general, yeah, is that they kind of have to like keep long term goal in mind, with exceptions to maybe stuff like Skyrim or Minecraft, where it's really up to you what how you want to proceed. But uh, I really got tired of uh, open world games that just gave me busy work, mm-hmm. like fishing, <laughs> yeah, like, actually, yeah. like fishing or. Or oh a, wait! A racing, El- does or... Elden Ring has fishing? It does no, it doesn't. It's not game of the but... year. Yeah, you, you just kill, you just kill, you just kill a lot of crabs, but yeah. you don't fish. And you have to <laughs> spare but dogs. You, do, you, do, you, you have dogs. You do, you do fight <laughs> yeah. giant prawns. Yeah, you do, you yeah, yeah. Just like giant prawns. Every crayfish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and but uh, okay, what I'm saying is that uh, if like everything you do in a game should uh, contribute to the long term goal of that game. Except if the if the long term goal of that game is for you to build a house or like just do whatever, then everything you should be able to do should be able to contribute to that. It doesn't feel it shouldn't feel like you literally are just wasting your time doing something completely unrelated to the long term goal mm-hmm. or whatever goal that you had set in mind. Like mm-hmm. everything I do in like I don't know Mega Man is like me getting stronger. Same thing with Elden Ring. Yeah. Now come to Forbidden West. I want to learn about the dinosaurs. I can like just focus on that, but at the same time, I'm also farming up. I'm getting XP. I'm getting uh, I'm getting resources that'll make me stronger in the long run. Yeah. Now, if I'm met with like, oh, you have a there's an activity here where you can do a skydiving contest. What does that do? Oh, uh, you get a you get you get on a leaderboard. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Or like you know, so, uh, winning the sit up. Or the squatting competition rewards you with the best uh, accessory, sort of like that. <laughs> yeah, like, or like, if that accessory is valuable, then sure. Yeah, I mean, sure, it enhances your. Yeah, I mean, like those kind of you know, uh, kind of rewards rewards you for doing effort on finishing this stuff. Yeah, that really yeah, I, matters, right? I guess. Uh, yeah, I just don't want the like experiences to feel like they're just tacked on for the heck of it. Like they have to be meaningful in the context of the game. Yeah. If you start making stuff that's completely inane, does nothing for you, not entertaining, and it's just basically you pressing buttons, pretending to be entertained, that is not good design. For yeah, like, like the risks and rewards, right? Like, you're risking wasting more time, but you're not getting any rewards from it. Mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to this. Yeah, I don't like getting my time wasted. Yeah, like, <laughs> it discourages people as well to take on side quests because there's no reason for them to finish it. So yeah, so I guess yeah. that's a really good, a- uh, important aspect for open world games, and yeah, it should be a must-have. <laughs> so yeah, so right. I guess that's it for our open world discussion. But of course, we can discuss more on really good designs in open world games, but probably in a future time, as there's still more we could discuss in the coming episodes. And of course, don't forget to check on us on RaymondRufals.com for more gaming goodness straight from the Avid Gamers. And of course, we have some of our social media channels from Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, we will be doing some gaming content in video form on YouTube. And probably and we'll be doing live streams very soon on Twitch. So yeah, so we're doing some migrations right. now. And yeah. of course, you're currently hearing us on Spotify right now because we'll be doing more of our episodes of RF Talk on Spotify. And you could also stay tuned for our live versions in the future. So 
we'll be doing probably once a month on doing live podcast discussions where you could interact with us, send up your you know comments, reactions, or suggest or um, maybe ideas like, for example, some cool games or school you know anime we would discuss all of those stuff. So yeah, all right. <clears throat> so that's it for tonight. And of course, this is Chad along with Alan and Luis. We'll be seeing right, you boys. next time. Next yeah. time. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.